Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Rodeo Time, the podcast, uh, 107 or 8, maybe 9, not sure what episode this is, this but, is exciting. Uh, but it was, it, it's a good episode. We've got the legend in the house. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about Mr. Chris Cox, and he has a, a very interesting story that um, you're going to want to listen. Very, compelling is a good edge, word. Edge of your seat. I'd, I was <laughs> unaware of this story, origin story that he has. And so um, brought to you by Total Feeds. We uh, we both, Chris and I, feed Total Feeds. How long have you been feeding it, sir? 10, 12 years. I think, I've, I think I'm at seven. So started with Boone. And uh, it's a it's a complete feed, correct? So like yep. you you don't have to add anything to nope. it. In fact, they can live on nothing but total equine and water. You, you know what I like about it is you spill some of it, and the flies just don't go to. I mean, right, it's, it's not like a sweet feed. It's not no. full of sugar. Construed, extruded, extruded. Gotcha. Yeah, and and you mentioned the so we've got horses um, in the stall that we've had. Like for instance, Dollar, yeah, my old horse, and uh, older than Boone, and came up cripple a long time ago. And talk about how much we love our animals. I've been feeding this horse for eighteen years, and he's <laughs> he's of no value to me. You know, I didn't send him to Mexico like <laughs> the people think that we might do to a horse. Anyhow, yeah. he hasn't had hay in years. Yeah, just eight pounds of total feeds every day and clean water. That's it, and he looks like a big stout bucking horse. He's just not going to die ever. <laughs> um, so they talk about horses can have the eight pounds um, and nothing else. I have personally done it with horses, and it's it's worked out great for me. And um, but sometimes in the winter time, just because I'm a, I like to call myself a sympathy feeder. I'll put out, hey, whenever if it's snowing. You're getting soft. I'm getting soft. <laughs> In your old age. Yep. <laughs> so thanks. Y'all y'all check out Total Feeds. Find a dealer near you. And uh, please enjoy this wonderful podcast with Mr. Chris Cox. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have in the house Mr. Chris Cox, world-renowned horse trainer. And is this your new intern? He is not a new intern. Oh. I'm sure you've had a lot of interns. Well, I wish uh, I wish I was sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes it's a lot uh, simpler when all you have to do is th you know you don't have to think; you just are there from the neck down. Yeah. So, but when you're the head man in charge, which you know a lot about. Yeah, we've all stressful. We've all done a little of that work growing up. <laughs> Do you have an intern program? I'm sure you've had people come through. That's a great question. And um, I've had a lot of people come through and uh, we don't anymore, Dale, because I'm trying to simplify. <clears throat> One of the things with the interns for us is that um, I have to pay them a little bit then I have to teach them and then when I get them just where they're starting to benefit me they leave yes sir so it's really not worth it to us anymore 
my wife and my kids, and, and, and I'm not taking outside horses. And uh, I'm actually delivering the message myself, so I don't have anybody um, that act, actually that I teach to go out and do clinics. So I just, I just do them myself. And that way I can manage it a little bit better. And, you know, I've been in doing it for 30 years, and, and uh, it's just simplified. You know, it's sim- I just simplify it. So yes, sir. it works out better for me. I used to be a lot bigger at the business part of it, but I looked up and I figured out I was working for them instead of them working for me. I was having to travel a lot and, mm-hmm. and do a lot of things. And, and uh, so it just worked out to where, yeah, I just, just do it myself, slow down, simplify it, be one-on-one with the people, and, and I enjoy it more. It's been good. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your origin story with and how it pertains to horses? We get we get a lot of people that that are I personally get a lot of people asking how to get started with ranching and in this industry, and uh, that's where the the Netflix show the idea for the show came from. We were bouncing off ideas, and I said, "Well, I get forty, fifty people." A day seems like sometimes at least 20. Like, how do I get started ranching? How do I get started rodeoing? How do I get started riding horses? And so I was answering that question a lot, and that's where the show idea came from. Well, first of all, i I got to tell you that very few people have your entrepreneurship and your your vision on what you've done. Uh, I I had a gentleman, a friend of mine, actually was there yesterday uh, at the ranch, and we're putting in new roads, and he's a grader, and he's from South Dakota, and he's a – kind of a cowboy and been raised around ranching. I said, I'm going to go to Dale's tomorrow and Dale Brisby's and do a little podcast. Oh, that guy's goofy. That guy's goofy. <laughs> that guy, he, he just, he doesn't know what he's doing. He just, I said, let me tell you something. Very few people know about Dale. And this is what I say. I said, he's a real cowboy. Yes, sir. I said, he's a real cowboy that has fun. And one thing that I respect about you before this podcast gets any further is that you've allowed yourself to be a character. You've allowed yourself to be funny. And, and a lot of it's real, yes. But you have such a following. Even my children follow you. And you never step outside the bounds. You are respectful. And so no, I appreciate that. that is huge for me. Yes, sir. Being a father, you know. You bet. A family man. Because you have a lot of children that follow you that, you know, and... And I respect that. There's so many people that are that are characters out there and that have built their name, but they just go too far. Yes, sir. No, I appreciate that I, very much. You know, early on, I think there was a guy was kind of pressuring me, and he was talking about like uh, the first video. I didn't really, I didn't really know we were going to put it on the internet. Like I, I didn't. A friend of mine did, and and. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a cuss word in it and, uh, and, uh, the D word. And, uh, anyway, um, and then my mom's second grade class, they, that she, we put out another video, the second video and my mom's, and I told my mom, I was like, Hey, I put out another video. And she said, well, can my second graders watch it? And I said, well, I don't know if they can watch that first one, but they'll be, they'll be able to watch everyone after this. Yeah. And that was uh, nine years ago, and um, that that like I said, it's PG thirteen at best. That very first one, yeah, you know. But 
but still, like like I said, I, we we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know we were going to even put it on the internet. We were just goofing around for me and the two guys in the room. And uh, but I, I kind of I knew that like who I wanted to be portrayed on camera on the internet. Like I wanted that to be authentic, and I wanted it to be something that that um, and there there was you know you can use foul language and get that shock factor humor you know like if anybody's seen Step Brothers or some crude movie like that there's a shock factor humor to sure. it that's a shortcut and and because it's if you're trying to make a nine-year-old and a 34-year-old and a 56-year-old all laugh that's a broad for as a comedian that's challenging you know, and so the growth can sometimes be slower, but that's okay with me. Just but, because. But don't you think because you relate it to ranching and and rodeo, you can you can do this fifty six year old. And yes, you can sir. Do the you know the nine year old. Yes, sir. Because it relate because they understand a little bit of that. Now 100%. the person on in New York City on the street probably wouldn't laugh because they don't see the humor in it. Hundred percent. Yes, sir. There's definitely a a nuance there. And, uh, and we're a niche within a niche sometimes, especially when you consider rodeo, like that's a niche within a niche. And, um, and so it, it, if, if you're not horseback, you know, once a year, at least if you're not familiar with the industry, then you, you, some of the jokes may not land mm -hmm. with you, but, um, but absolutely, you know, the fact that it is within, uh, you know, the ag industry and, and that was authentic to me and how I grew up, you know, being an entertainer, the class clown was authentic to me. And so that's where we started. The marketing came first, the products came later. I didn't realize this at the time, but we were branding long before and marketing long before we had a product. Yeah, we were just no, having yeah, fun. Sure. We made videos for two, three years before we ever sold anything. Mm -hmm. We didn't even have a plan to sell anything. And so that I think is a challenging thing for people that come to the internet today. They're there to make money. And the audience can tell that. Well, in the, in the, in the beginning for us, we weren't there to make money. The mo now to keep doing it, the money had to come. And so sure. eventually we had to start selling something so that we could yep. keep doing it. Right. But, but in the beginning it was the same thing about for the you. Content. Right. And, and like, I loved making people laugh and I loved, the ranching industry Chris, and rodeoing. Chris learned to train horses long before the money. Well, yeah, yeah, I had. Um, You'd be horseback with or without yeah, the cameras, oh, of course. right? Exactly. Yeah. And you, you know, people, it's funny. Uh, I get asked this question quite a bit. What, what do you do for fun? So, well, I ride my horse. <laughs> exactly. With my family. <laughs> yeah. I rope. You know, cut rent. What, whatever. I, you know, we run a few cows and. No, no, no. Tell me, what do you do for fun? They want to. They want to say, do you ski or do you, you know, go play volleyball or? Yes, well, sir. I don't. I, you know, it's a lifestyle, right? And yeah. there's a, and it's like I've told people, there's a big difference. If you wanna, if you want a hobby, do not get a horse. Yes, sir. Or a few cows. It's a lifestyle, and and I'm a little late this morning being here because we had a stud that went to the. Uh, it was colicking and had to go, almost go to surgery, and they're waiting to see if he's going to go to surgery. I mean, you know, you got to drop your stuff in the middle of the night yeah, sure. to go get a calf yeah, rescued sure. that may be 
hooked up in its mother, you know, to pull a calf or, mm-hmm. or, or, or the water, the well, you know, quit working or whatever. Yes, We're going to get up in the middle of the night and we're going to go like it's our family members. Mm-hmm. And that's where this story hasn't been told to these people that, that are saying that ranching and riding and rodeo was cruel. They haven't seen us get up in the middle of the night and do everything we can to save a life on our. I, I was thinking about this exact point with you. You know, we were, he and I were sharing some, some of your accolades, and I was looking at just the list of things that you've accomplished in the horse world, whether it be the road to the horse or the cutting horses or showing horses. For decades, you, you know, not only are you winning, you know, but um, not only are you going to all these things, but you're winning them. And um, your name is large enough, your brand is large enough to continue to make money. So what is the drive to go and compete in all these shows? Because it takes time. It takes money. It takes diesel. It takes manpower behind the horses when you could just do this other thing. And what it is is I think what you just said, it, it's you're passionate, you're passionate about it. And, and and you love you love horses you love being horseback well for me it's about um, the more I know the more I realize I don't know and the more humble I am about it and I, I wanna I never want to die in saying boy I wish I would have learned that you know or, or what I was doing was wrong you know I want to change I want to change that and 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 I think that I think there's so many people out there that that are when they have a microphone on, they're the king. They, you know, they're the. They almost become a, a god or messiah. No, you go outside your industry and see how you can match up against some of these guys that are outside your field. And I've always put myself in another department, um, to where yes, I'm. I have been successful at this, but I'm willing to learn and get better. Now, there's some things that I see that I don't want to include in what I'm doing, but. You know, I I, um, I want to stay I want to stay continually learning and try to get better. And once you think that you've got it figured out, I believe you're misleading yourself. Yes, sir. Staying humble and staying open to change, I think, is very very important. And so, I love all aspects um, of the industry. Uh, you know, I don't go on show very much, but when I do, I want to take a good one to town. You know? Yes, sir. Because those guys go every weekend and compete. Well, I compete once every two years or once every year if I've got a really good one. And 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 plus, they're going to be better showmen than I am because I'm in the training mode. You know, you, you're in the, you're always training your horse and you're not showing your horse. So, um, but at the same time, it's it's something that's very uh, challenging to me. And whether it's it's roping, you know, whether it's roping or whether it's uh, as I'm saying, Rich Skelton is calling as I'm talking about roping. <laughs> um, or the cow horse, the cutting, or, or you know, whether it's starting colts. I want to remain humble and not think that I've got it all figured out because there's a little something that somebody said could change the whole aspect of making it better. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate that, but those those titles um, aren't as important to me as the times that I failed because when I failed I remember that and I remember what it how it felt yes sir 
Uh, I remember how it felt to sleep in the back of a truck for six months behind a restaurant when I lost my lease. I remember how it felt not to have a place to live or not have any money, and I remember how that felt, and that's more important to me than, than to remember if I had a million dollars in my bank account. And um, I never forget where I came from. I never forget, and that's what drives me. And, and I want my family, want my children to have a better opportunity, but I want them to appreciate it. Yes, sir. And so the cult that I started, you know, a few weeks ago, I wish I would have had all the horses I had back to, to do a better job. But I didn't know, you know, I didn't know. And, and even some of my success at Road to the Horse, I was disappointed, even though I won. But that's the way you are. You know, you don't just say, hey, I've got, you know, I've got all this and I've got all this business. I start off, another, but you're still looking to be yes, better. Sir. Yes, sir. And I've got that mentality and, and, and God has blessed me with that. But I've also, I, I do not take it for granted. I do not take nothing for granted because it's so important to realize where you came from. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um. I imagine that's a tough, you know, you said talking about your kids, like do you have a strategy on how you put them to work at the ranch so that they appreciate some of the things? Because I, I imagine it would be tough to, you don't want them to have to go sleep behind a restaurant for six months, but you also want them to learn the same lessons you did. That seems like a challenge. Yeah, it's a hard path to walk, isn't it? I like, feel like maybe like the every, hardest. All the stuff that you went through brought you here right but like but i don't want my kid to go through that you can't just tell somebody that sounds yeah well, well right well i tell you uh, <clears throat> you you started off asking me a question i never did get around to answering that question where where is my where did i start uh, how did i get into the ranching and the horses and um I, i'm gonna run through a real quick history you bet my dad, I was actually born in the United States, and I was raised in Australia. So I was born in Kissimmee, Florida. And um, my dad was actually born in Washington, D.C. I'm actually from a political white-collar family. My dad's father died when he was 10 years old, and he was raised by his grandfather, and his grandfather was a congressman of Georgia for 32 years. His best friend was Dick Clayburg, the congressman of Texas. So he took a liking to my dad and raised my dad on King Ranch. So my dad spent all the summers on King Ranch, and that's what developed his love for ranching and horses. And, and uh, even goes back before then, um, my connection to Texas is that uh, my several times great uncle was the president of Texas, and Texas had three presidents. Uh, if nobody knows the uh, history of, of Texas, but of course the most well-known one is Sam Houston. The second most well-known one is John Austin. And the third, least well-known, is my uncle, Maribo Lamar. And Lamar is my grandfather's name. Lamar is my brother's name. Uh, so he was the president of Texas, but it's kind of what all circles around. My dad ended up spending most of the time in King Ranch. And, <laughs> and so um, my dad went to Australia in the 60s, and he ranched up there, and he, 
come across this island, and you can look it up. It's at the top of Australia. It's at the top of the Cape York Peninsula, Prince of Wales Island, and it's the largest island in, in the Torres Strait. And the Torres Strait is below New Guinea. New Guinea's there, comes up there, all around Prince of Wales Island. And it's a 100-square-mile island. My dad went up there. He worked on some ranch, went up there, and met this older gentleman the name of Jimmy Joyce, ended up buying the island from him for $65,000, which was my great-grandmother's money, by the way. Um, come back to the United States, loaded his family up and his grandmother. She was 96. I was the youngest of three brothers. I was uh, 18 months old, and he went to Australia. We stayed in Rockhampton for a little while and then eventually made our way up to the island. I was raised on that island. We had horses, cattle on it, um, only one massive Ferguson tractor, and uh, we sold beef off the island. But when it was time, we went to school over to Thursday Island was the nearest island that had a little school, and it was only three miles away. And the boat that we went up on there, my dad, there were some islanders that lived on on our island, and he'd made them go to school. But when we started looking at girls, he shipped us off to um, boarding school because there was only native girls around. And so I went to boarding school, and he eventually sold the island and and bought a couple ranches there in Australia on the mainland. Um, I went to boarding school, continued to go to boarding school. My dad never gave me a calf, a cow, or a horse. Everything I rode was his. So I actually left home when I was real young, um, probably 14, went to boarding school, never really went back, went to work on some other ranches, went to a two-year <coughs> college. I don't even have my GED. I, I left year 10. I was actually a pretty good uh, rugby player. I was number one in my state for my position when I was 15, but that doesn't say much um, today, so it doesn't get me nothing but a cup of coffee and some popcorn. But um, <laughs> You was a pretty decent athlete, but I wanted to be a world champion bull rider. So I had all these horses. I rode every day. And, and I always had a connection to horses. Never thought I could, I could uh, be, a, um, be a horseman because everybody over there did their own stuff, you know. Well, I started the first college rodeo team in Longridge Pastoral College at this two-year ranching college ever to start in Australia. And the first rodeo we went to, went to a pro rodeo, I won the bull riding. It was the worst thing could ever happen. I started from there and started rodeoing out of there, riding bulls. Troy Dunn uh, started the same time. We're the same age. We grew up together. I actually, he looked up to me as a bull rider, believe it or not, before he ever started. But I remember seeing him at 16, winning the first bull ride in Ilford Combe, Queensland, which is just only 40 minutes from our college, the little college, and uh, I, I don't, I've never really told this story, but I, I started, um, yeah, I started that rodeo team, and I remember I was entered in the biggest bull ride, um, the biggest rodeo in Australia, and it's called Mount Isa, and it's a, it's the biggest one in Australia. At one time, it was the fourth biggest in the world, but, and I drew a bull called Sleepy. And he was a bull of the year and all this. And I I'd, I'd made a set of bull riding spurs at, at shop. And uh, I'd been shearing at, at this shearing sheep all day. And I had wool uh, just wax all over me. And I hated sheep. 
And I remember I told my friends, I said, run that Illawarra shorthorn bull up. I'm going to buck him this afternoon. And we had one shoot there. And, uh, and run that, run that bull up and, and I got on him and he, I got him to turn, uh, stand out in front to turn him back. And, and he turned back and I went to get off him. And I, I don't know why I tell this story. And I told it to Ted Noose. I've never met Char uh, Charlie Sampson, but I remember Charlie, sometimes when he'd get off, he'd get out the back. And I tried that, and it threw me up, and I come down. And uh, this is when I was 15. A bone come through here, and one through here, and through my glove, actually. And, uh, and I got up, held my arm, and... My best friend was the, the reason why I went there. He, he influenced my life with horsemanship. His name was Ken May. And uh, that's why I was there, really. And I said, Ken, I said, I've just broke my arm. I said, I, uh, I'm not going to be able to compete next weekend. It's the first thing I said. And he looked at my arm, the bone sticking out. He said, well, we need to get you the doctor. So ran me in there to Longridge. Longridge is just a little town. It, ha it does have the Stockman's Hall of Fame in it now, but they didn't have a surgeon. They, they had a flying surgeon. They call a flying surgeon. And, and what a flying surgeon does, is that he flies in. He goes to ranches, he flies in, and he operated on me. <clears throat> and he said it was the worst broken arm he's ever seen at that time. And so when I, I woke up, my hand was like this. I had plates all through here, through here, and I stayed in that hospital for like a month, and I never could move my hand. Then it got infected, and, and I went through a lot of ups and downs, and um, they operated on me again. They thought it was the plates. They took the plates back out, but what happened is he had cut the medial nerve with his scalpel, mm -hmm. and you can see today my fingers quit growing because he cut the nerve Dang, he wow. Cut the nerve, so I can't feel. From here down, I can, you see how thick that is? I can feel, you see the different color. I can't, because of my, because of that, he cut that. So they shipped me to, <clears throat> shipped me to Townsville on the coast, and there was an Indian uh, doctor that tried a, a nerve graft. So they took a nerve out of the back of my leg and, and, put in there and it went, so I ended up having four operations and I ended up getting staph infection. <clears throat> and so my mom was there and this was, you know, this was just all, I'm, I'm 16 years old. Wow. And so all my dreams of being a world champion bull rider, you know, I'm thinking all this and I'm thinking, and, and so because of the pus, because of the infection that my, my body had gotten immune to all the antibiotics, and he come in and told my mother and me that uh, amputation was on the table. And uh, so I was actually in pretty good shape, and I, I pulled up the IVs and stuff, and I, I ran for like, got outside, and they're screaming at me, and I ran for like two or three miles, four miles, felt like. And, and I told my mom, I said, let's get out of here. I said, wow. you're not cutting my arm off. Dang. So just one thing after another, we left, we left that hospital. I remember um, having a nervous breakdown, you know, and saying my bull riding career and I'm effed, you know, I'm, I'm done, you know. And so 
but I remember pushing on this and it squirted out out of that hole for over a year. And um, that was a life-changing. It just got better? Changing experience. It did. It, it, it did. I, I mean, I, I wasn't going to get them to cut it off, but it healed itself eventually. And uh, so I went more the horse route, you know. I mean, yeah, could I have changed hands, or, you know, we rode with the other hand, but, right. but it was just, that was my turning moment. Mm. I went down to um, King Arroy and started 35 head of horses. Well, I remember going to my dad's, I went back to the ranch and I asked him, I said, can you help me borrow some money to buy a, a small pickup and a two horse trailer? I want to go, okay, I rope too, you know, I want to rope and I want to go around and start some colts. And I asked him on a Monday and on Friday, I asked him every day on Friday, he said, no, I've never been home since. So I went down and started 35 head of horses, rode them through a sale and got enough money to buy a ticket to come to the States. Wow. That was in 1986. You were, this is, your arm had healed up, you were like 17, yeah, 18 well, years yeah. old. Yeah, I mean, it, it still was, was brittle and stuff. And I, right. You know, but yes, I was, uh, so I was 18 when I came. Wow. To the States. And uh, so I'm, I'm, this is a long story going back to our, our, question. My dad never gave me a cow and a calf. I probably wouldn't be here if he had. So to answer your question about my children is that I want to share things with my children, but I teach them even at the guest ranch in Wyoming, they get up and work every day. And I want to teach them work ethic, respect, and faith. And if they got those three things, they can make it. But they're not going to sit around and watch me work my butt off. They all, they're all have a work ethic, even at a young age. And you can't expect your child to start working when they're 15 or 16 years old. They've got to start when they're younger. And, and even with respect and everything else, you've got to imprint them with a work ethic. And I tell them, I'm doing this for you. And I am. I'm doing it for you. And I want you to earn it. And so that has been a big change for me to see my father and my father is still 88 years old and he's still alive and he's never sent me any money he's never sent me you know uh, is he proud of me yes but he doesn't tell me he tells other people mm. but that has given me that survival instinct mm -hmm. to never quit mm -hmm. and I can remember you know whether it's sleeping because you don't have truck. a fallback plan no right no I you know, and, and so many of these parents come and live with me, you know, I'll, guess what? They might quit smoking dope or they might, if they didn't have a place to live or they were hungry, you know, they might. Be bad. They're giving them places to live and feeding them. Well, I didn't have that. And so, but I wanted to teach my children a work ethic and, and a drive and we're doing this together. And this is what my wife and I and my children, anybody will tell you, we do it together. They get their butts up and they go to work and they feed whatever they need to do because one day it's going to be theirs and they're going to work for it, you know. So that's my way of, of changing my course a little bit and getting them to appreciate that. Yes, sir. So. I can respect that 100%. I think, that, I think that's uh, 
I mean, especially if they if they know how to if they know how to work, then they'll I mean, they'll never go hungry, even if they didn't stay, you know, in Texas with you. But uh man, that's I'm well, just I'm soaking I, in that story. I, <laughs> I can was, tell you. I was glued to that story. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's real cowboy stuff. But I can tell you from I couldn't have guessed any of it. <laughs> just right when you think you're gonna guess what's about to happen, like it's it takes well, a turn. I apologize for the long answer. But, no, uh, God, yeah. that was fantastic. But I I can tell you because you haven't had this opportunity, but I know his kids. Like all those titles he has is arguably the best horseman in the world. He's he should have a title for father too. You bet. He's got great kids. I'm not kidding. Well, thank you. I think I think I've met one. I think I've met one of them. My case, yeah. Yes, my son. Yes, sir. I think I've met him. He's envy that I'm here with you. Oh dang! (laughs) Should have brought him. Well, it was only second day at school, so. Oh yeah, that's right. School just started. So so here he's talking about fatherhood, and you're trying to tell uh, him to get his kid to skip school just to hang out with you. Yeah, fair enough. That's that's what you bring to the the table. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. What what does Gus say? Uh his only chance at an education is listening to me talk. <laughs> what kind of education is that? Um So what happened when you got over here? Cuz you're by yourself. You got nothing. You've got nothing. Oh, actually I had $50. <laughs> I stand corrected. Um we did um we were friends with a ranching family in the Kissimmee, Florida area, by the name of Overstreets. So you went, you went to Florida. For, yeah, I went to Florida yeah, first, okay. and then I, I, um, uh, they took me out down to Sebring, where we uh, gathered five thousand head of yearlings, and we're shipping them off. And it was like you could cut the air with a knife. Like I've never been used to that humidity. It was so hot, unbelievable hot. And then I did. I did, a few months later, I did get an opportunity to come to Texas and work for John Carter. John Carter is, uh, was a legend in the cutting horse business in Crockett, Texas. He's the father of Roy Carter and the father of Punk Carter. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's quite a character, quite a character, a lot of stories uh, about John. And, and so I worked for him for a year or two, and then I started out on my own and and just kind of drifted around a little bit and uh, I got to actually uh, what how my career really started is that through the federal government believe it or not uh, BLM contracted me to start some Mustangs at these adoption sites where they gathered these Mustangs they set up these panels and they they go through there and they adopt them you know called satellites and so they, they'd get me, I'd pick one out, and I'd start it there in a round pen. Well, they figured that if I could lay them down and walk on their backs and ride them in an hour that they were easy adoptable. And so I made my first VHS video called Breaking Into a Horse's Mind. It felt like it took months to make that video. Mm. Um, and then I sold it. I remember going to Kentucky Horse Park. They had a, they had a big... Uh, briar fest up there and then they let the mustangs have uh, a parking lot down there where they put the mustangs in there and they and they adopted them out of there and i had a little booth set up there i remember selling five of those videos thought i was rich 
And ironically, I sell them for the same amount I did back then as I do today. So I don't know how that ever. Just sell a few more. But um, so that's kind of how I started. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. wow, you you understood the and and I wanted to touch on this because I was talking about this how the two of you have have branded yourselves. So. Uh, you know, Dale with your hats and shirts and Chris with his TV show and video. But that was that was pretty early for you in your life to decide, like, I have something of value. I can video it and and somebody will pay for it. You were pretty young to, to come to that conclusion <clears throat> that long ago. Yeah. You know, it it uh and I can remember uh, making my own halters and, and, and my own leads and, and sitting behind the trailer. You know, I had, uh, you know, my hands were blistered from making these leads and feeding them back and forth each other and then selling them in the clinic. You know, all of that is, it makes you appreciate um, what, you, what you've done or what you have. But I, I think that I would have to say, and this is where I credit him to, I've had opportunities to sell out. I don't mean sell my business. Mm -hmm. I mean sell out. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I could sell my name. I could I could uh, franchise it. I could get people. There's not, as I said before, I there's nothing wrong with it. Of getting somebody to come pay me forty thousand dollars to get them to be certified and all this. But what happens is every time you do that, you water your, your message down. You water it down. I never have done that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's kept my brand strong as well as just me monitoring it and not selling out. Also, I've had companies come to me. I remember this, this one company that came to me that uh, wanted to give me $100,000 a year. Uh, and it was a kind of a drug product would help the horses relax. It was from France. I'm not going to say the name, but I just felt like, yeah, I can get that 100000 but what are the stories going to be developed out there? Chris Cox drugs these horses. He does this, and I never wanted that to ever interfere with my brand, so I never did. I need the money? Of course. Mm -hmm. But I, I've tried to keep real. I try to, you know, the old saying is, you can shear a sheep every year, but you can only skin it once. Right. And I think in business, and especially with Dale and I, is that we have a brand, we have a name, we've got to be able to make sure that's done well. Yes, sir. Yep. Yes, sir. There's yep. been there's been a few. I, I've got four sponsors. They're all very authentic to me, all four of them, if, if they were if we were to part ways, I would continue using that product. That's the biggest compliment you can give right there. Yes, sir. I agree. And one of them sitting right here. Yes, sir. Yep. So total feeds, I was feeding Is it bigger than me. <laughs> I was feeding before <laughs> mm -hmm. they sponsored me, yep. you know, and I, I got this, I had Boone and it was, I was, but Boone's pretty famous by the way. Yes, sir. I've His watched name Boone a long time. His name has grown. And better looking. Yeah. How old is Boone now? 22. Wow. So when I got here to yeah. this part of the world seven years ago and I was doctoring yearlings, he, uh, he was one of three horses I had, and I needed at least two every day. And anyhow, I had one 
go now go bad for you know he was kind of crippled for a week or two so it was boone and another horse so i had to use boone to doctor these yearlings and so I'm, and he's a pep to boone small no sir he no sir he just came from my uncle pat boone <laughs> oh Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <So> everybody <laughs> thinks he's Pepto, but no, he. Well, he just, he's Red Roan, and you know. You bet. Yeah, he fits I mean. the description, but he, uh, um, he's got papers. I don't remember what they are. There's not much significant on them, but uh, he came from Pat Boone. Um, but anyway, he he was just acting. He was super slow and acting slow. Can't couldn't run out of sight in a day. Would get tired. Of course, every yearling, you know, I'm chasing him down five six times because I can't rope. So, you know, it's there's Boone's that. get there's that. Boone's getting tired. Um and I switched to total feeds and Boone turned to flip. And he went in in my mind, he went from like a fifteen year old to a nine year old and gave me an extra few years of hard ranching on him or decent ranching on him. And now we just pick up I got a little pin and we'll pick up Bronx on him, but that's really all we do. Mm -hmm. He'll teach some interns how to ride, but um so if if total feeds were to part ways with me, I would a hundred percent continue to feed it just because I'm I'm a believer. But you're right. I've I've had a few opportunities. Nothing six figure wise. You know, I've had some other opportunities that you know sponsors that came along that I just you know, I think there was a there was a beer that reached out to me um, a couple years ago, and I said I just I just don't drink. You know, it and doesn't fit the image. I. I I don't drink and I, I I don't want to do an ad at the beginning of a YouTube video for, you know, with all these kids watching about alcohol and I don't mind if somebody else does, you know, my brother and you know, you guys want to have a beer. That's fine. But I just don't. And so it's not authentic to me. And, um, but anyhow, I guess I can relate to that. Some people might say there's other ways that, you know, they, they wouldn't want me to have any sponsors or do anything. But at the end of the day, I can't just make videos for free for nine years and still make video you know like yeah well it's just like you know with uh you got to share the sheep at least yeah you may not you, skin you know, him but you got to share uh, being on rft tv for 20 years you got to pay to be on there and you got to pay for production well yep. and then i'm giving away free information yep yes yeah, sir you know a hundred percent there's got to at some point there's got to be some sort of income mm -hmm. around that but um so you get done working for Mr. Carter, based just guessing, but that had to have been around maybe the the ninety nineteen ninety. You said you got here in eighty seven. No, eighty six. That was 86. probably about eighty eight, eighty nine, mm. and um, and then yeah, just you know, and I moved to Alabama for just a, a year or two, a year, and then I went down into Florida, at least to some places, and then. I ended up bar, uh, buying my first place in Ocala, Florida. And Ocala, Florida, back then and probably is today, probably known as the horse capital of the world. Marion County is, it's huge. Just, they just built that big equestrian, I mean, the largest in the world. The Roberts Quarter Horses built that big equestrian estate there. And uh, so, yeah, I had a place there fixed up. I'd work on it at night and... Uh, had a racetrack on it and a bunch of stalls and I was a single guy in my 20s and I had a colonial house with six bedrooms and pool and six car garage but a tree had grown through it. So I'd run down to um, Home Depot and I'd, borrow a, I'd buy a lawnmower and I'd take it back and I said there's something wrong with this lawnmower. And of course back then they'd give you money back. 
So I'd go over and get a chainsaw at Lowe's and I kind of fixed it up that way, you know, where I'd take, I'd use it and take it back and get my money back. And, but I ended up fixing that place up in a few years, ended up selling it. And that's where I bought my place here. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that story. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We, uh, we both kind of like real estate. I started flipping houses in 96 back in the day. I borrowed the money for the down payment and borrowed the tools. I would literally go to the, like the neighbor's house, borrow whatever they had. If they didn't have it, I'd go to the next neighbor's house and flip my first house and made, I, I flipped it in 60 days for like $11,000. I, I didn't have a car, you know, mm -hmm. that was the world to me. What year was that? That was 96. Yeah, I had, I left home. I'd, I had my degree in psychology, but no job. And I left home like, and that's, so I, I love those real estate stories. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. I did not know this story. Well, I've got, a, I've got, a, there's a lot more to that. Yeah. These friends that um, picked me up at the airport uh, when I was a kid, were great friends of ours. And, and, and he said he had uh, signed for me. I didn't have bad credit. I just didn't have any credit. Right. And on the last day, he backed out. <laughs> so I was already in this place <laughs> from northern Florida because nobody lived in it. I was already, and I had to get out. Well, that was a kick in the, yeah. in the groin. And so somebody found me a place to go to for a little while. I went and did a demonstration for this Venezuelan doctor on his ranch. And I had this black stay, and it was pretty amazing. I could ride him bridles. I gathered 300 head of cattle with him, put the cattle in the pens, bridles, no, no saddle. Dang. And wow. cut, cut on him. Back then, I was more athletic. I cut on him. They were so impressed. Well, my realtor become like my American mother, she went and asked him if he would borrow me the money. Well, wow. he did. 13%. And Wow. <laughs> I, yeah, he's I, not. you're not talking about the down payment. You're talking about interest. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so... Because um, you're getting close to the down payment percentage there with yeah, 13. So it's a high or low. Well, like, you know yeah, what? I'll loan I you mean, the money. Yeah. Oh, that's great. 13%. But you know, I, I think... <laughs> guess what? We, we've been spoiled. I was... Oh my God! Yeah, you thanked him. Oh, you know we've been spoiled on this two or three percent interest. You know it hasn't always we're, been that way. We were just talking about that this morning. Yep. It's back up to seven now, but yeah, sure. So anyway, and when I and I fixed up a house on the other end because Mary, my realtor, gave me her Home Depot credit card, and we had a builder that would do it, fixed it up. I sold that in ten acres. When I went to close on it, he wouldn't split it off. So we had to go to Farm Credit and Farm Credit. I said, yeah, we'll finance you. And so we paid him off. He gave me a early payment fee of $35,000. Yeah, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I ended up doing that and got me enough money to fix the rest of the place up, sold it, and came to Texas. But I tell you, I will tell you that anybody out there that my real estate has made me more money than my business ever has. But I use my business as a payments to be able to get me to that point. Yeah. Yes, and sir. land is very important. Yes. Um, it's, we lucked out so putting 300 acres together over there a mile from the new Teton Ranch. And, you know, we just lucked out and, uh, you know, paid 2300 an acre for it six years ago. And it's worth 20000 an acre now. Right. And it's just ridiculous. But I, I can encourage everybody. Land is your best investment. So your your business is like your your grocery money, 
and your your expenses and then you're also going to grow a, a a little savings and then once you get that savings going then you're you're looking for the next real estate investment yes sir yes sir that's kind of how my granddad was he had a uh on my mom's side of the family my granddad he was not he appreciated western but he was uh he was an entrepreneur he was you know a businessman and um so i got to learn a lot from him but he had uh, an auction business where he would uh you know sell people's you know uh an old lady would move into a retirement home he loved helping out like widows and you know little old ladies and he'd lose money on some of those deals but he would uh he'd sell their their um all their stuff in their house for them you know and and then he would always he would buy little things cash here and there and so he'd run his own stuff through the auction you know and make a little better margin on it but he did that and that seemed to be like as i got older i realized like and that was just my verbiage you know i called that like his grocery money his everyday you know that's what that was steady his business yes, steady sir. cash flow income and then you know he had these real estate deals around town that were like his sure enough investments and that was where mm -hmm. the, the the real it, everything worked together but on the surface you just see the auctions and you think that's it yes you know and so um but anyhow um that seems like you know a, a uh when I was younger, I was rodeoing DeWitt Forrest. He's a he's an A-list judge in PRCA. That means you know all the the judges at the NFR are A-list. There's mm -hmm. A, B, and C, and you know your smaller, you know Mesquite thousand added. Sometimes that might be a C judge. You work your way up to an A-list a judge. Well, DeWitt's a, a legend. He used to ride bareback horses, and now he's a judge. And uh, but when I was little, little, I, I remember hearing him say that. If you want to get rich, anybody that ever got rich did it through sales. Like they, you know, and he's like, you know, like a doctor or lawyer will get rich, but like a, um, you know, and I think it's a combination. They'll get rich and then they'll get it into real estate. But um, he was like, if you can sell something, you'll never go hungry. Well, I didn't look at it as trying to get rich. I didn't really. Well, uh, also, also that. the word rich is uh, relative to some people. Like, you know what I'm saying? Correct. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I don't, my goal is not to be rich. My goal is to be comfortable. Yes, sir. So when I saw it, I thought, well, I don't know about getting rich, but that I heard the part like, you'll never go hungry. Mm -hmm. You know, if you could sell something, yeah. like you'll at least survive. <laughs> yeah. And so not that I want to, you know, I'm not a bare minimum kind of guy. I'm not saying I'm just going to settle. But on the other hand, what? Being a rodeo cowboy, I wanted to be my own boss. And then, and I've always enjoyed selling things. Like when I was in third grade, like we were not dirt poor by any means. There were people in town that had less money than we did, but I went on a field trip and I didn't just have a pocket full of money to buy lunch, but I'd acquired a bunch of yo-yos. <laughs> and so I left with a little bag full of yo-yos and came back with no yo-yos. I'd bought lunch. And Did I had, they have Coca-Cola on the side of them? Remember those ones that had Coca-Cola and yes, sir. those yo-yos? Yes, sir. No, well, th I remember those, but these didn't. These okay. didn't. These were probably a little, I mean, these were just a random assortment of <laughs> cheap yo-yos I'd got from my granddad's auction. But but my parents, we didn't have as much. So anyways, were, I came back with $36, and I had bought my own lunch. You were uh, you were doing yo-yo tune-ups, I believe. Yes. So I told you this story, but I also had oil 
and, you, and then yo-yos had a little bearing in it and you could oil that bearing and it would make the yo-yo spin he was making them pay for yo-yo tune-ups so i would say the yo-yo and then you'd come back to get it oiled <laughs> 50 cents to get your yo-yo oiled anyway um i didn't i didn't become a yo-yo salesman but i just loved it and so in college it was selling firewood horses swap trailers here and there and it eventually grew and um but now like i enjoy selling t-shirts i enjoy the business side of the of what i do here t-shirts caps but what i enjoy the most is the branding side of things right. to get someone interested in the product what what i think people don't get when because my dad taught me that he can sell he's still ahead of sales i he'll walk in sell start talking to a stranger is selling a bag of feed and they'll walk out the door like i don't even have a horse <laughs> he just loved to sell yeah sure but the thing they don't understand when people push back is like the most important thing you learn from selling is selling yourself yes yeah, sir because if you sell somebody on you that you're authentic they buy from you yeah but i think that's i think there's a a big gap in what you're saying there it's how you do it yes sir selling yourself I know people that sell their self and saying that, you know, in a cocky way and that I'm, oh, you know what I'm saying? So, the opposite, so that, that, that yeah. to me, I get turned off on, it's like going to a car yard and you can't even look at the car without somebody down your throat, you know? Yep. Oh, well, give me a break. See, or you walk into a store, can I help you? Well, well, I don't know yet. I don't know what I've seen I like. That's a guy selling yeah, sure. a car. But when Chris is on TV... He's giving away his information. He's selling himself. Like Chris right, is authentic. Right. I like, and, and I tell my guys whenever they're working a booth, they need to talk to people. Mm -hmm. but connect like, to them at least. Connect, you need I, to connect I, with I, them. Yep. You need to be friendly. But most of the time, they've already got their wallet out. You know, I've already done the, the, the branding. and Yes. Once they, yes. If you walk into my booth, especially Dale Brisby Rodeo Time booth, odds are most of the time, you're looking 19 out of 20 people they know who i am they're gonna get something mm -hmm. you know at that point it's just helping them make a decision and uh and the other thing is i told them i said don't be afraid to suggest a product you know like we're not going to be pushy salesmen but like don't be afraid to help them out and like steer them in the right direction and help them yeah. find what they're looking yeah, for that this t-shirt goes well with that cap if you're interested yeah, absolutely <laughs> you can make a suggestion i said you don't have to if you don't want to but on the other hand like if somebody bought a plane ticket to fly to Las Vegas, Nevada to watch the rodeo. They're going to stay in the Mirage and then they're going to go watch the rodeo. They're going to gamble $400. <laughs> like, there's not, we don't have like a moral, you know, this person yeah. is, you know, like this t-shirt is the last thing they're worried about. So my, my last year of college, I was, I was broke. I was pretty much out of money, but I, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I was so close to graduating. So I took a semester off and I just worked my butt off to make the money to finish school. And one of the things I did, I, I worked at a, a men's clothing store in a mall. This is uh, in Kansas City. I was in Lawrence, Kansas, where I finished school. I didn't know anything about that. I mean, you look at me, I'm the last guy in the world you're going to take fashion advice from. Yeah. But the manager knew what he was doing, knew how to sell. And he, he taught me this and he said, look, you're, you're not their accountant. You're their sales guy. 
your job is to suggest things that make them look good. And lo and behold, when you took it from that point of view, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this to help you. You know, you're trying on those pants, but, did, but if I bring this jacket and these ties out, try them on. You look great. Yeah. And they did. And, I, and so they were happy. You know, yeah. we, we both won in that situation. Yeah. If you can sell something, then you're not going to go hungry. Yeah. But there's, there's times now, like there'll be kids walk, there'll, there'll be some kids walk in and it's not a show in Vegas and I, they, they're wearing a rodeo time cap and this sucker has some miles on it. They're getting a free one. Like if I'm in the booth, like yeah. I just, I'm a softy about it. Like, yeah, but that goes, that goes a long way too. Yes. Sir. yes. So, so with these, uh, he'll tell you at these expos, mm-hmm. um, we have people line up in there and I do a giveaway you know yep and and i'll sometimes i'll just throw caps yes sir if they yell and holler and they act excited i'll just throw them a cap and i mean yes, they, you think that it's christmas you know it's fun to watch <laughs> he'll do a clinic and i've been at some shows so i i sponsor some of these these horse events that we used to do not so much after uh, covid but um chris will be there and you can tell when chris's clinic's going on because you could bowl down the aisle between the booths. Everybody's in his. No, that's only happened clinic. the last few years. <laughs> and and then when he's done, he always he gives stuff away at the booth, and it's standing room only. Yes, sir. And the enthusiasm is there, but he gave that information away. Uh, and and so that's what I'm saying. They so well, it's just an appreciation for their support. That's yes. all it is, right? Yes. Sir. That's why you gave the cap to the kid that yes, wore sir. his out. Yeah. Appreciate you wearing his brand. Let's think about this with what you got. And and it's funny you said this. I was watching TV the other day and the mutton busting's on. This little bitty girl goes out there and rides his sheep and here she comes running back and I look down, she's got rodeo time on her. I mean Yes, sir. She, she, here's the deal. She is uh, promoting your brand, and she bought it. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> you think about that <laughs> yeah. with my caps, with that. Yep. They bought it, and they're wearing it, and they're promoting your brand. Right. But they love it. You, you know, I was. It was something yes. I didn't really even think about till like a couple years in. Like I didn't even really, <laughs> you know, I didn't. But I mean, we give a lot of stuff away. You know, and, and that kid, he's obviously wearing it every day. I can tell this new one, it's got, you know, 500,000 miles on it, this old one that he's wearing. So, like, he's going to wear this next one, especially since it was a gift, you know. Oh, That's not why I'm giving it. That's not why I gave it to him. You know, I gave it to him because I personally am like, this kid is such a fan, and I personally am appreciative of him, you know, and it makes my, yeah. my heart, heart kind of warms up a little. But, yeah, it it, it also is, you know. And I imagine that's you giving away stuff is, and then a secondary effect is that they'll also be appreciative of it and wear it every day. Um, but that's like an added. But there, added there bonus. are a lot of people that would love to sell <clears throat> as many hats as you do, love to sell as many as many videos as you do. But they're that's what they're thinking about. A hundred percent. They're not thinking about giving the customer something. So I did a, I did a, I counted. I think it was this last Black Friday. I had posted on Instagram, hard post is what I was counting, uh, 220 times 
before I ever said DaleBrisby.com. Like, and and leading leading up to Black right. Friday, so like it was a it was a give 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 two hundred and twenty times like, so the content we were putting out was entertaining. It was meant to be. Now there at some point there might have been some you know like we're also holding a total feeds bag so I'm tagging you guys but but for the most part those two hundred twenty posts like those are skits they're funny moments they're vlogs they're videos they're entertainment for the crowd before yeah. we ever ask like hey and the work you put into that the work right. that with your team and your crew the work that Chris puts into uh, developing his skills is is real and people get that you guys are giving something of value to right. them before they give you something and i think that's why you know maybe like your friend from south dakota that you were talking about like he may not personally get value out of my content so he doesn't understand the hype mm -hmm. well the mom with a seven-year-old who watches dale brisby videos every day she understands that value exchange Yep. So she's not afraid to buy a $25 shirt. Well, after I explained to him the money you're making and the impression you're doing, he understood. But from the outside, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I've had yeah. people come to me, and it's like that booth thing. I've had people yeah. come to me, and I didn't have time to talk to them. They walk away and say, he's snotty, he's stuck up. Yep. But they didn't get to know me. Yep. And I never want that to be a problem. And that's what you're saying to your staff. Always acknowledge people, because if they walk out of there, and they weren't acknowledged, the first thing on their mind is, you know what, they're stuck up. Yep. I'm not going to yeah. and And that's the, that's, they're looking for the negative. See? Always. Always looking for the negative instead of the positive. And you, you won't hear about it, but they'll tell other people. Sure. Yeah. They won't sure. tell you, but they'll tell right. 10 other yeah. people. And, and it's yeah. misfortunate that, that we make those as humans that we come up with that, uh, you know, already branding somebody, right? Yep. that you don't know them. And so you got to be really, I've always said it, you got to be really careful. Some people are hard to get to know, and there's a reason. Because they got walls there because they've been beat down. Yep. So they have to put up walls. But once you take those walls, you get to know somebody, you change your whole mindset about them because we have a preconceived idea about who people are. But be careful because they walk through some tough things in their boots, you know. You know, and i got to ask, because I've known you for quite a while and and I tell people a couple things I tell like like I listen to Chris that's what I tell people I'm like if Chris is saying something I listen to it uh the other thing is you have and I have a degree in psychology you have quite a grasp on psychology but you don't have a formal background but you really understand it and, and I see you do it you should watch Chris at one of these events they'll bring somebody to to Chris with a horse, a problem horse. Yeah. <laughs> Chris will talk to the person and then he'll maybe do a demonstration with the horse and there's nothing wrong with the horse. And so he fixes the rider right in front of everybody. And all of a sudden the horse is, she get, you know, gets back on the horse and like, oh, the horse is great. And I, where did you, I mean, you have such a great grasp of well, I think hands that's, on psychology. I think that that's uh, part of, uh, I think becoming a, a good horseman is that I'm, uh, one thing is that you have to be in the moment, you know. So part of my whole therapy, because I'm kind of crazy and, you know, part of my therapy is when I'm with horses, I'm meditating. I'm in the moment, you know. 
And one thing that horses have above the human is, is the awareness. So we humans have lost our awareness because we don't hunt for our food anymore. Mm. We take things for granted. So our interaction and our awareness has left. So when people are around horses, <clears throat> they're just not in the moment. So you're always training your horse or you're making a pressure on your horse, good or bad, whether you know it or not. So their awareness of what's happening, it happens before they can even pick up on it and they're too late on their timing and you know what I'm saying? You kind yeah. of keyed in the moment. <clears throat> so I think that that's really important is, is, is understanding that and, and know there's two things about people when I'm teaching this. Some people listen with the intent to respond instead of listening with the intent to learn. Mm -hmm. So once I teach people how to learn, and sometimes they're 60-year-old adults, 70-year-old adults, They've never been taught to learn. And, you know, well, so with my first clinic, if they somebody come to me with, when they come to the first clinic, it's a little tougher because they ask me a question and so I start answering it and then they start talking over the top of me when I start answering it. Mm -hmm. So I stop. And they go, I said, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. You're speaking. I'm. I'm not going to talk while you're talking. It's just disrespectful. I said if I was to ask a professional or somebody I respected a question, especially about the horse, about safety, and all about that, and they, and I'm, and they start giving me an answer, and I start talking over the top of them. I think that's. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They don't. Eat, they're not even aware of what they're doing because they listen with the intent to respond Absolutely. instead of listening with the intent to learn. And so once I teach them that, it's so much easier to teach them because I'm going to tell them, I'm going to say, listen, what you're trying to tell me I already know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it just changed I, so I've just seen you do listening it. to people yeah. is so the respect of somebody's time like that's what we lose right if we sit here and give each other time you can give the amount of money it don't matter no, the time and the respect looking somebody in the eye and the time is the most valuable thing we got and so and we i teach that in my clinic so the psychology of it and and we've had a lot of success a lot of returning customers once mm -hmm. i get through now Years ago, I used to have some, some leave. I was just going to ask you. Years ago. Yeah. Very, very seldom, very seldom I have anybody leave a clinic because, because, because of my approach. And my timing's better with horses, so I got a, a tougher horse. I used to go about them a little bit as an argument instead of as a suggestion. The person, I go about them as a suggestion and then if I need to get firm, I do it. So my approach is better with people. And, and it, the horses have taught me so much about people. And, um, but I think it's, it's just God. I wanted to be so good with horses that I had to change myself. You said one thing at the beginning of that, that, that uh, you were talking about how you're in the moment. I've, I've noticed I've got a young horse right now. Um, I call him baby bird, bird man. Anyhow, he's probably, I've probably got 50 rides total on him, 20 in the round pen. And 
15, 20 in a bigger pen and then 15 outside just going down the road. Anyhow, I have noticed like when I'm in a hurry and I'm trying to check the box of working with him during a, in a day that the, that the situation goes one way, but what I've tried to do and I get up super early, you know, just because now I, you now don't I get drink up, for one, for one, I don't drink, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, I like, I like to run, work out and work with that horse all before work. Well, you gotta, I've got to get up sometimes at three thirty, you know, and, but when I, when I do that, no, and no, I t- no, that's no three thirty is not early. You just didn't go to bed. That's <laughs> Most of the time it's, I mean, four, four o'clock. Four, yeah. Four, I can understand when you get up at three thirty. there's, you have either peed the bed. That's only once a week. <laughs> I do that. I do that once a week. Cause you can't do that multiple times, but, but yeah. for sure by four thirty, most of the time four, that way I can get out there and everybody else is asleep. All the other horses are asleep. I turn the arena lights on, and it's me and that horse, and there's just zero distractions. Can't even hear the highway from four to five. And those are the absolute best sessions I have with that horse. But when it's in the middle of the day or at the end of the day, I'm trying to, like, hurry and rush, and I'm only just now realizing it. Sounds like you've been doing it for years, and that's why you're the one teaching the clinics. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I've got a question to ask you. So when you're working in from four to five, you've got an hour. Do you use that whole hour? Not, not all the time, no, sir. Good, good answer. It, so, so what I would do. That's also saddling and, him. Yes, sir. <laughs> and catching him. Catching him. <laughs> catching and saddling him. Okay. Him. So yeah, yeah, brushing him. Yes, sir. Okay. So. This is the mistake that I've made in the past, and I've seen others make in the past. If you've got a if you've got a certain amount of time to work that horse, so my goal is to go out with that horse, and if I can, if if he's given me everything I want to in ten minutes, I quit. Yes, sir. So what that does is that incentivizes him. If he pays attention and he does everything you want, quit. But but if he if he has a little bit of an argumentative stuff to him that day, you're going to go a little bit longer, a little bit longer. As soon as he gives what you want, quit. So the timing of it. Well, I see what people with jobs is that they've got an hour to work the horse. They're going to work that sucker with an hour, no matter what happens in that hour. Yes. And there's where there's the problem. And if it if it has to take an hour and ten minutes, they can't do it. Right. And if it's if. If it only takes 10 minutes to do what they want to do and they need to be happy with that, they're going to work him an hour. Well, well, guess what? He's trying his butt off in 10 minutes and then all of a sudden he has to start getting stiff. You know, they got to work his butt for another hour. And he said, what is the sense in this? So how sustainable is your, your clock? So, like, does there come a point where it's like, okay, um, it was 18 minutes last time. Now it's 14. Now no, it's 10. I don't go now off the time. I r- go right, off his response. Correct. But I'm saying, like, um, is there a point where it's like, okay, you've done well, but I need to put miles on you today? Oh, there's difference. I'm talking about mainly in an arena. Yes, sir. So when you're when you're out traveling, I took a horse to Brooks Lake the other day, a two-year-old, and this is up in the mountains on Yellowstone. Never been out the pen, and I rode him for five hours on the trail, but I crossed water, I crossed bridges. I yes, crossed, sir. You know, he saw a grizzlies. He, we come across three grizzlies. 
uh, you know, but, but he's ears afford, right? And, and there's a difference. But when you're in, a, in an area, there's only so much interest to go around in a circle. Yes, sir. Up and down. You know that. Yes, sir. But when you're traveling, those suckers are engaged. Right? They're, they're, they can depart from you for a, for a, a little while and look, and, and the stress is off of them. Mm. That outside riding is the best riding. Once you've got control of what's going on inside, that outside is the best development of their mind that you can get. Yes, sir. I, I'm not saying I've put all this into practice on these 50 rides with this horse, but I don't think I've probably ridden him in a pen longer than 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's always, um, especially like early, early on, you know, first 10, 12, 15 rides, it's just, you know, getting him used to me. And, and there were some 10 minute kind of days and, um, but I probably was apt to go that route just because I'm lazy, you know, maybe. <laughs> or, but it's just like, oh, he did good. This is my escape. I'm gonna go do something else. <laughs> but, um, anyhow, so that, I guess that's just, you, you gotta have those moments where do you, do you have, I guess, um, a rule of thumb? Like if you were going to work with a horse four or maybe five times in a week, you want to have two or three of those sessions in the pen and then two or three just three four miles one thing about horses is there can't be no rule of thumb you know i'm saying you've got to be able to go off the individual and uh so you know of course uh i've got one i'm getting ready for the snaffle bit paturity and and you know i can't be riding him outside because i'm running stopping him the ground's not that good inside it is you know but my arena's pretty big it's 300 by 150 so uh, but there's times where I'll just take him out and I'll give him a mental break and ride him through the creeks and check on the cattle, you know, yes, sir. stuff like that at least once or twice a week. Yes, sir. And so that helps him mentally and turning them out too, you know, and, and letting them run in pens and stuff if you got them in a stall. And, or you've probably already got yours out running with a group of another horses. But I, I do that occasionally, but he is chewing some tails. So right, good. right now he's isolated. Yes, because he he chose Boone of all horses. <laughs> Boone's got a half a tail, but um, so that's frustrating. But um, yeah, he's tail's a little protective of Boone. Yeah, we got to protect Boone. Yep. Yeah. Well, Jordan, our top, we call her the weird horse girl. She loves horses. She's uh kind of my right hand man with taking care of Boone, but um. No, that uh, most of the horses, I'm excited. I'm starting to be protected of Birdman, too, because a lot of my, the horses on my place, there's something wrong with them. There's a little, you know, like Bandito is kind of shaped like a long-necked dinosaur. And, you know, Boone, the reason we got him from my Uncle Pat Boone is he would buck, and my dad got him. And so kind of like a sanctuary. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Buckethead has a head as large as this table, yeah. and he's grayed. Uh, Dale Brisby, his real name's Blue Boy. He yeah, can, I think he can run. He can go for forty miles, but it's going to be a rough trot, and he may buck somewhere in between there. I got and, a video uh, of you trying to. They've all got a little something, but that means they're affordable enough for me. You <laughs> You're trying to trade Buckethead to Chris. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I got a video of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like I your buckskin. I don't list. think that worked out for you. Though. I tried to trade him to. <laughs> I tried to trade him for to to um. Trevor Brazil too. He's got that that horse. I think he's called Scotch or Butterscotch or something. It's a buckskin. We're standing right beside each other. No takers. 
And my big jug headed <laughs> gelding grade gelding is looking at Trevor's horse that's probably worth a hundred thousand. You know. <laughs> Trevor didn't take me up on it either. <laughs> so going back to the original question, what would your advice be to a young person in twenty twenty two, you know, and they're looking to get started in this industry specifically horse training well you know i told somebody the other day matter of fact it's one of my employees Mm -hmm. i hired him as a carpenter and he's watched me for about three or four years and rode on the side and he's gotten pretty good with horses but i said i don't need a horse trainer i need a carpenter and uh, i said what you what I tell people all the time is that well, so if you're starting now now it's different when you're 16 17 18 didn't go to college I'm talking about the person that's in the 30s wanting to train horses I said do your horse stuff on the side do you still do your professional job when the horse stuff is making as much as your professional job then switch yes sir I see so many people especially if they're married so many people that leave their profession and go to horses and think they're going to make it. I said, now if you're a young person, didn't go to college, or you did go to college, this is my advice to you. Find the best horseman that you can possibly find and go to their barn, start sweeping the barn, start picking up. Work for free. They will give you a lesson. If you have no money, if you hang around there and keep coming back, they will give you something. They will feed you. They'll give you a place to stay. Go to the best, and you will have an opportunity. But one of the things that I see people that do wrong and, and, uh, is that they leave an establishment too early before they're ready to go on their own. Five years, six years. People go to college for five and six years and leave with these degrees and debt and still can't get a job. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, Mr. Biden's going to pay you all, pay it all off. <laughs> don't get me started. So anyway, uh, what I'm trying to say is that, is that understand this is a long journey. And, and all of a sudden you become an assistant trainer. All of a sudden you start showing or doing what you want to underneath that person then all of a sudden you have clients that want to take you when you can gracefully leave that situation but see what a lot of people don't realize is that when you get your own place you're talking about tractors you're talking about drags you're talking about water wagons you're talking about i mean i'm talking about on and on and on and on and on you know there's a lot of expense a lot of expense that go on with having your own place insurance yeah, and and uh, you touched on this back uh, when we had Dale out at your place with Craig, and we did the the poker mm-hmm. game and stuff. You were talking a lot of fun. Yeah, was. There's still there's still people that watch that that say they got a kick out of that. Oh, yeah, it's great. great! And I I handed the bulk of that off to Dale. It was one of his podcasts. I don't know if you know that, but you were talking about ranching. The fact that you have to be I mean, you're talking about all this equipment, but you have to know how to operate it. You have to be the jack of all trades because you, you're you not going to have the money to hire 
a specialist for every part of of the ranch. You got to learn how to do a lot of that stuff yourself. Yeah, and that's like it, it's easy to get dialed in on the horse. Well, I'm just going to have horses, and I'm going to spend my time with horses. I'm like, well, well, you got to fix the fence, and you got to fix the tractor. You, you got to dig the, the best. Ditch. You got to be the best at the horse part, <laughs> right? You got you got to be you got to be a master at that, and then you got to also be the engineer and the and the janitor at your <laughs> at your own exactly. place. What about business wise? Like, is there some uh, like a as I, I like that? I guess that is kind of a good business. Um, whenever you're talking about as a side hustle, once that makes more money than your main hustle, that's when you switch. I guess as a, to a young entrepreneur. Yeah, I understand that um, your body's not going to last forever. So um, I've had actually four surgeries in the last three years. Wow. So uh, three back surgeries and then finally got it fused in artificial discs and had two artificial discs put in here a year and a half ago. Yeah, some rough stuff. <clears throat> yeah, my arm, I just couldn't operate my arm. just wore out, you know, and, and so... Uh, I want to be able to not use my body for my income or my or my worth. So I think if you look at that, that's important. Now, yes, I can go out and I can teach without getting on a horse, but unfortunately I'm an on-hands person and I'll get on some of their horses and I'll, I'll do that. But uh, that's why the real estate is very important to me. Yes, sir. Is that I can pass that off to my children or, or it, it's... You know, when the economy's up, I could sell it and make some money you know, and, and put it towards something. But I want to be able to lay my head down at night and understand that there's something working for me. That yes, I don't have to always work for it. You know, it's growing in value. So, um, yeah, even though I know you marked 90 point rides and you <laughs> made, a, made a great living spurring bulls, that you can only do that so long, right? Yes, sir. I mean, look at your great friend, um, <laughs> J.B. Mooney. J.B. Mooney. Yes, sir. I mean, he's so tore up and, and at a young age. Oh, my gosh. You know, you've got to look at yeah. where is this future? Where, where are we going? You know, and all of our friends in rodeo, right? I talked to Larry Mahan yesterday. And uh, he wrote the forward to my book. And I looked up to him as a kid growing up, you know, reading him in The Western Horseman and now he's one of my best friends. He tells me he loves me every time he talks to me, and and uh, he's having some health problems. And you know, it, it's it's just like you've got to make sure that that you can put your put your money to work for you. You know, for me, that's land. So, well, you're also a man of faith, so you're gonna live forever. Yes, sir. Amen to that. You know, and that, and I tell you what, uh, I always believed. Went to a Catholic boarding school. I wasn't even Catholic because I had a good football team. But uh, the day I held my daughter in my arms, I saw God. You know, and she wouldn't even have to supposed to have her eyes open, and she just just glared. And I always wanted a boy, but the good Lord brought me this beautiful young girl, and uh, from that day. I always said to myself, when I do something, would my children be proud of me? Well, you know, when I've got somebody that lives in me and, and uh, 
and loves me unconditionally and forgiven me for all what I've done, it, it, it's just changed my life. Yes, sir. We usually end with life advice. I feel like he's given us all kinds. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know that me and you should even give ours. You want me to follow that? <laughs> yeah. I'll just say when life hands Here, you lemons, put a bull rope on them. Here's my advice. Listen to Chris Cox. There more. you go. Well, I don't know about that. I, I've learned a lot here just today. That's what I've just learned watching. today. <laughs> well, um, do you have a website that has – you've got tapes, you've got, you've got a book, you've got clinics coming up. Do you have a website that shares all that, or is it on social media? Uh, I've got a website. It's Chris-Cox. There's a dash in between my name. and There is a Chris Cox, but he's a congressman and all that. And, but there's a dash in between my name, Chris-Cox.com. And then I got Chris Cox Horsemanship on the Facebook. So You bet. Look that up. How many clinics do you think you'll do? Not many. This year. Just a few. So uh, we do week-long clinics. So when you talk about a clinic, they're six days. So they'll come here to the ranch here in the fall and, and the spring. And, uh, and I'll go to a, a maybe one or two throughout the country and maybe a couple of horse expos. But Yeah, we did we, Madison. We're, we're doing everything where people come to us. And, and yeah. what we do is um, we set up a, a situation where they come in. They don't have to worry about anything. We have the lodging. We have the dining room. We have the stall for the horse. So that's what, you know, we're in the middle of building a new facility too, so. But that gives them on hands. They get away from their phones, they get away from their, everything else in their, their concentrated learning and it's worked out good for us. I tell you, Chris surrounds, him, surrounds himself with the most wonderful people. Um, I, I, it, yeah. it is a joy to, appreciate that. yeah, when we go to shows and stuff, to, to work with your people, they're just absolute, a joy to be with. Well, thank you to Chris Cox for being here. You guys heard all the, the ways that you can um, get that information. Thank you for Total Feeds for uh, the relationship with Chris and myself. Yes, thank you. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, now we're on to the next one. Donnie's going to roll that beautiful bean footage. There it is. That's our outro. Music.